All right, guys, great to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, glad to be together again this Sunday. Uh, this is equipping hour, and so we're getting started uh, right away because we've got a lot to try to fit into this hour. Uh, we're going to do some, um, I'll do some talking about uh, discipleship, and then uh, we'll spend some time discussing um, a book together. So uh, let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much uh, for the gospel. Uh, Lord, thank you that we don't save ourselves because uh, we couldn't, Lord, obviously. And, we, and we're so broken, we wouldn't even want to. We would love our sin and love our little idols. And uh, we just want to praise you that you have opened our eyes to our need of a savior. Uh, you have provided that savior Jesus, you have spoken about that Savior in your word. You have caused us to be born again. You have made us part of a church. You have given us the Holy Spirit, and you've allowed us to live our lives for a purpose that is much bigger than just um, these few years that we have here on this earth. And uh, so, Lord, uh, we can't, there's nothing that you need. Uh, from us. You, you are self-sufficient and totally happy, and yet you allow us to, uh, to find delight in you, and you allow us to glorify you, and one way we do that is by being grateful. And so uh, we want to start today just by saying thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, last week I took a little too long, and so uh, this week I'm pretty committed to uh, going a little quicker uh, so we can have time for a discussion, but we're talking discipleship in our equipping hour, and uh, one of the reasons why we're doing that is because we need help. We really need help. I was uh, thinking this week that there are lots of proofs in the Bible that we need help, but there's also a lot of proofs from our own lives that we need help, and uh, one of the illustrations of how much help we need is just the fact that uh, so many of us make the same wrong decisions uh, that the people before us made. It's kind of incredible if you look uh, at our lives sometimes, you'll find people making the exact same foolish decisions their parents made. And they actually grew up with the consequences of those decisions right in front of them. And yet they'll still make the same decisions. And I, uh, as I was thinking about that this week, it's just a reminder of how much help we need. It's so hard for us uh, to make decisions that honor Christ. Or even if you just look back 100 years ago, 200 years ago, uh, 300 years ago, it's so easy to see how, uh, how sinful and wrong some of the ways people were thinking was. And uh, we look back 100, 200 years and we're like, why were those people thinking like that? That is, those people are just must be the dumbest people there ever was. And yet you realize 100, 200 years from now, people are gonna be looking at us and thinking, why were they making those decisions? Couldn't they see that was wrong? And so it's, it's obvious that we need help. We need help. And uh, one of the ways uh, God ha helps us is by giving us his word and giving us his spirit. And uh, one of the other ways he helps us is by giving us friends. And friends. Uh, True biblical friends are one of the means God uses to keep us from being foolish and actually enable us to change. And 
And yet, how, how do we uh, really be those kinds of friends to others? Many uh, of us, even if we've grown up in church, haven't really had uh, biblical friendships, and uh, we don't really always know where to start when it comes to being a good friend. And so that's what we're talking about in our equipping hour, how to be uh, a, good, a good friend. Obviously, uh, we want to start something called T-cells in January or February, uh, and really, uh, T-cells are just an opportunity for good biblical uh, friendship, in my mind, a structure that we're putting in place. But whether you're involved in a T-cell or not, uh, you should seek to be a good biblical friend because you need it. And so how do you do that? Well, one, we said you have to start by working on developing a relationship with someone. And uh, how do you build a relationship with a person? One key is really caring about that person and making it obvious that you care for them. And uh, then um, you need to get to know them. So seek to build a relationship, ask that God would fill you with his love for that person, and then get to know them. In other words, ask questions and listen. And uh, you've heard this so much from me that you're probably tired of it, but it's hard to overemphasize the importance of gathering information so you can understand the person that you're discipling. Now, uh, for the next few minutes, we want to talk about something you might call interpretation. So you want to help someone change, care about them, listen to them, and then help them put off unbiblical interpretations of themselves and the world and put on a biblical interpretation of themselves and the world instead. So that, I hope by the end of this, these few minutes, is gonna, you're going to see how important that is. But one of the most uh, helpful quotes I've ever read, you know how there are some quotes that just change your life? And this is one of the most helpful quotes, I think, that I've ever read. It's something Paul Tripp wrote about uh, interpretation, what we're talking about. He says, uh, and it's on that little piece of paper there, I say this all the time, and he really does. I've read a lot of his books. He does say this all the time. I say this all the time. Human beings do not live life based on the facts of their experience, but on the interpretation of the facts. We never respond objectively to the situations in our life. We respond based on the lens that we see those situations through. So that right there, that quote is genius. That is like a life-changing quote, if you actually understand what he's saying. Human beings do not live life based on the facts of their experience, but based on the interpretation of their facts. Now, uh, think about that for a minute. Seriously, think about it for a minute, because it, it really is so, so important. What he means uh, is that things happen to you, and you respond. Why do you respond the way you do? That is an important question, and it's one that we don't answer correctly very often. Because we think it's because of the events. We almost always think, if I ask when you're counseling someone, talking to someone, why did you respond the way you did? Often, most often, they'll explain the circumstances or the events. I did this because this happened. But that's actually not quite right. You respond on the basis of your interpretation of those events. Um, so Paul Tripp's big illustration, you've probably heard of it, heard it, was when he was a younger dad. He had small children, and one of his children was in the backyard, apparently, and got hurt somehow really badly, was bleeding everywhere, and everyone was freaking out. But his child was so calm and uh, 
Paul couldn't believe that his child was so calm, and he asked him, why are you, why are you not so scared? And he said, uh, Daddy, I'm not scared because you're a doctor, and so I know you can take care of me. And obviously, Paul Tripp's not a medical doctor. Um, but that was his interpretation, and it was impacting his response. He says, my dad's a doctor, so I don't need to be afraid. He, even as a young child, was interpreting the events, and that interpretation of the events was impacting the way he responded to those events. Uh, il illustration of that from my life, we moved to South Africa, and almost a week after we were there, we were in a restaurant, we hear this big crash, this gang of men comes in with guns, yelling at everyone to get on the floor. And so we get under the table, and uh, Caitlin was just little th back then, and she was in my arms under the table, and she was so calm at that point. I mean, we were under there for, it felt like five, 10 minutes, but her heart was not beating fast. She's just almost like we were playing hide and seek or something. And then the men finally leave, and she looks up at me and smiles, and she says, Daddy, God took care of us. God took care of us. So her response was so different than other people experiencing the same circumstances, all the way down to her heart beating. Why? Because her interpretation of what was happening was different. That's the point. She saw God as in control and taking care of us, and that changed how she felt and what she did. As Paul Tripp puts it, we never respond objectively to the situations in our life. We respond based on the lens that we see those situations through. Now, of course, the problem is, if your lens is wrong, you are in big trouble. <laughs> um, and that's part of why we need biblical friendships. It is very hard for us to interpret what is happening to us accurately. Very hard. I know some of you think you're amazing at it, and maybe you are, but most of us are not amazing at it. And let me uh, show you why helping each other interpret our lives biblically is so important. One reason it's so important is because there are all kinds of voices out there who are giving their interpretation of what's going on. And they're giving it not as an interpretation, they're giving it as facts. So it's kind of like you're driving to, to church and there are all kinds of signs on the way to church telling you which way to go, what to do, how fast to go. If those signs are wrong, you're in trouble. You're never gonna, it's, unless you, you know, if your GPS is wrong, you're in trouble. And what's happening as you live life is all around you, all the time, people are interpreting life for you. And they're giving you signs. This is why this is happening. This is what's happening. This is what it means. You can't get on Instagram without, or you can't get on, on the, the television. I mean, it's amazing how bossy everybody is. Driving down, uh, driving down the freeway, there are signs up on the freeway telling you how to think. So you're constantly getting these, uh, and they, they're not being put out there as interpretations, they're actually being put out there as facts. And, um, and it, it's, it's easy to get confused. This is really the, the problem from the beginning, more than just confusion, rebellion. But if you think back to the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve an explanation of the data. So he interpreted the world for them, God. And he loved them and he told them it wasn't good for them to eat from a particular tree. But then another voice came in, and that voice gave them a different interpretation of what was going on. They said, you know what this, this means is actually God doesn't want your good, and he's doing this because of this, and they believed that interpretation and acted, and we're experiencing the consequences of that even now. So we're constantly being given interpretations of our problems. 
and we're making our own interpretations as well. Um, and we're not neutral either. And, and the, even as Christians, often we're very, um, we're very susceptible to poor interpretations. I was just reading one this morning, an actual interpretation that somebody was presenting and they were Christians and thinking that is an incredibly poor interpretation of what your problem actually is. And one of the reasons why it's hard for us, we're getting all these interpretations and we're not exactly neutral. That when it comes to me, I am very subjective. And so I have, I'm pretty pro me and you're pretty pro you. And so we're naturally gonna like interpretations that go along with our sense, our, our, our view of the data. Some of us have also developed tricks that we won't allow anyone else in to give us a different interpretation. This is like when I was in that taxi down in North Carolina and the guy before the conversation basically got started told me, all religions are the same. Nobody understands this the way I do. And you know, they all wanna argue with me. And so what did he do? He would not allow me to give another interpretation he was blocking himself off so that his interpretation of the data was the only interpretation of the data. The only way I could get in there was by being argumentative, according to him. But unbelievers aren't the only ones who do that. We do that. We've got our interpretation of the data, and we create ways of communicating with others that keeps them from actually getting in to mess with our interpretation without having to be very confrontational and um, easy to write off, actually, because they're being like that. And uh, one reason is because we're just subjective. We like our own interpretation. Also, we've got sinful desires, and we tend to like interpretations that go along with what I think and what I like to do. So um, a really obvious one that you hear a lot is, um, you know, uh, people around me are, you've got this situation where people around you, you feel like they don't understand you and uh, they um, are making your life difficult. And uh, the solution to that is, and you're just longing for their you know, approval and it's really creating like tension in you. And the world's solution to that would be, you know, they're just people out there, you gotta just let go. You gotta just live for yourself and just let these people go. So the, the problem is I'm too concerned about people's approval so they're, the way they're responding to me bothers me a lot, so the, so, which is really selfishness and pride. So the solution the world offers to that is another kind of selfishness and pride. So like you're struggling with selfishness and pride because you're so bothered about what everybody thinks of you and they're just getting in your way and uh, it makes you want to do what you want to do. And so the world's solution is just get rid of the, those people that, that are weighing you down and don't have anything to do with them. So overcome selfishness by being selfish. But that's, that, that's part of those interpretations often are so obvious when you're not in the situation, but they are not as obvious because we got selfish desires and the world is really good at, and we're really good at identifying sometimes what is happening and then offering a solution that actually um, just makes it easier for us to do what we wanna do. And so this is a problem. We, there are all kinds of wrong interpretations out there, and the truth is we like the wrong interpretations often, more naturally, um, 
with our, in terms of our flesh. I was thinking this week, even when it comes to doubt, you know, why is it so easy to doubt what God says? Well, we think, well, it's easy to doubt what God says because it takes faith to believe in what God says. But you know what? It takes faith to believe in what the world's saying as well. <laughs> That's uh, the world is offering up a story and it's offering up an interpretation and it takes faith actually to believe their interpretation. And yet so often we don't even think of doubting the world's interpretation. Why? I think the reason why is because there's more to doubt than doubt. Doubt is not neutral. <laughs> uh, we're not neutral. And so there are certain doubts that are actually more attractive to us because they have to do with um, making it easier for us to do what we want to do. But anyway, I'm just stressing here how important the right interpretation is to change and how hard it is to interpret correctly because of all the wrong interpretations out there and because of our sinfulness. And then you know what so often happens is that the wrong interpretation gets locked into our brains and we're just so sure that's how things are that it becomes very difficult for us to ever change because that wrong interpretation, that lens is so on there, it doesn't even seem like an interpretation anymore. It just seems like absolute facts. And if anybody presses you on those, that interpretation, they're like, how could you? It's just the facts. It's just the facts. So an obvious, you know, pick on them kind of illustration would be flat earthers or something. It doesn't matter how much data you give them, they're locked into their interpretation and they're not going to change. And yet, you know, we're like, I can't believe those guys, but there are temp there's ways we're tempted to be flat earthers when it comes to our lives. <laughs> uh, we've got this interpretation of what's happening and what the problem is. And you know what? We're not going to change that interpretation. We're, well, it's, it's locked in. And the problem is, if that interpretation is wrong, it's going to be very hard for us to change. And the choices we make on the basis of that interpretation are going to have this major impact on our lives and the lives of the people around us. Which is why one of the keys to being a good friend is helping people interpret their lives biblically. Uh, Hebrews 3, 13 and 14 puts it like this. Uh, for me, this is a go-to, absolutely go-to counseling verse, life verse, actually. Hebrews 3, uh, 3 13, and 14. Um, the writer says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's still called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so you look at that, and you say, who, who is he talking to? He says, brothers. And uh, yet, what is he warning them? He's warning them about an evil, unbelieving heart that leads them to fall away from the living God. And you're like, well, how could that happen to a Christian? Well, it's not going to happen to a Christian. And part of the reason it's not going to happen to a Christian is because the Christian listens to the warning here in Hebrews, <laughs> which is to take care. A non-Christian hears this, and he's like, I don't need to take care. But a Christian hears this, and he's like, oh, man, I need to take care. This is scary. Why? Why do I need to take care? Well, you see one reason at the end of the passage, because of what sin does. What does this passage say sin does at the end there? It says sin deceives and hardens hearts. So that's the problem. And how, according to these verses, do you keep from being fooled by the deceptiveness of sin? It's through interpersonal relationships. He says, exhort one another that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so this is God's plan. Sin is really good at lying to us. And because sin is so good at lying to us and hardening our hearts, that's what happens. That's why all of a sudden somebody's like, 
I, I used to know you, and how, how, how are you like this now? <laughs> it's like their heart is like a wall. Well, it didn't happen just in one day. Sin lied to them. They believed that lie, and slowly but surely, their heart got harder and harder and harder until it's just like cement. And uh, the way we keep that from happening is the way we have to watch out, and the way we watch out is we have friends who love us enough to exhort us. And what that means is to show us our own lives from God's perspective. And that's part of how we as believers don't develop an evil, unbelieving heart. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about helping your friends interpret their life biblically. You're trying to show them their life from God's perspective. You're trying to get to know that person as they really are. And you're trying to get to know their life as it really is. So you can come alongside of them in order to help them see themselves and their life from a biblical perspective so they can avoid being uh, deceived by the deceitfulness of sin and as a result actually change and become the person God wants them to be. And that's why you're doing all that listening in the first place. We talked all that time about listening, building a relationship and listening, but we haven't just been building a relationship and listening for the sake of listening. That's where people get confused sometimes. Because that only goes so far, just listening. For all that information you're gathering to be worthwhile, you need to interpret it correctly. And this is so important. It's why you're doing all that listening. It's for the purpose of having enough information about that person and what's going on in that person's life that you can go to back to God's word and, and put all that together and then like kind of place it under the microscope of scripture to have God help you understand what's really going on in their heart. And, and if you think about how the Bible works, there are so many illustrations in the Bible, where the author is doing just that. That's like literally what he's doing. So um, if you think about James, James chapter 4 as an illustration. James chapter 4, this is such a famous passage, it's easy to go to quickly because he says, what is it that causes quarrels and fights among you? And so what's he doing there? He's saying, okay, we're going to talk about something that's happening, fighting and quarreling. Now let's think about why that's happening. Let's think about the interpretation of that. Why is that actually happening? And uh, he has to do that because there's lots of reasons people give as to why they quarrel. Just ask like a four-year-old, why is he quarreling? He'll give you all kinds of interpretations of why he's quarreling. And the problem is most of us have kept the same interpretation from four. Uh, we haven't actually changed our interpretation. We've just become better at like saying it so it doesn't seem so uh, selfish. But... James is going to interpret the data. And he says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And then he illustrates, and he confronts, and he offers another solution. So you could think, why is it that there's so many fights and quarrels? The other day, this, why is it that you yell at people? Why is it that you get so angry that you're, you're you know, having all this go on in your home? James is going to give, you've got an interpretation. I guarantee you've got an interpretation. But James has got an interpretation, and this is the biblical interpretation of what's going on. And until you accept the biblical interpretation, guess what? You're probably not going to change. You're going to get. You're going to be stuck. And Malachi is another whole. The whole book of Malachi is basically God coming and and saying, "This is what's going on. This is the actual interpretation of what's going on." And then the people are like, "But wait, I thought this was happening." And God is like, "No, that's actually uh, not what's happening." So God comes and He says, "I've loved you," and Israel says. How have you loved us? 
And so God and Israel are looking at the same situation and coming to the opposite explanation. They have totally different interpretations. God says, I've loved you. Israel says, I don't see that love. And so God has to come in and explain. Or later God will say, you've tired me out with all your words. And they say, we've tired you out. And so God has to say, no, let me interpret what's actually happening here. Let me explain what's happening here. Job is another big example of that. Something happens to Job. There are all these interpretations of what it means. And finally, God has to come in. This is part of the point of the book of Job. God has to come in and say, you're not going to interpret what's happening to Job correctly until you have special revelation. My wisdom is at a higher level. So the only way to interpret this is I'm going to have to give you special revelation. So Job basically is why we have a Bible. You know, Job's a book you could read at the beginning, before Genesis to say this is why you need a Bible. Um, you need God to be able to interpret what is happening in life. Numbers 11 is another illustration of that. The people are coming and complaining. Why are they complaining? They would have said, well, look at our situation. But no, actually, Numbers 11, you, you could read that and read it sometime, and you'll see the reason they're complaining is actually the way they're interpreting their situation, how they thought about their past. They're like, oh, it was so amazing in Egypt. Now look at us now. Completely wrong interpretation. They were literally like slaves in Egypt. But they're looking back. Their interpretation of their past has, has changed, and so it's affecting their complaining. They're, uh, they're looking at their present. They're like, God doesn't care about us. Even though manna, is lit bread, is literally falling from the sky, they're like, no, it's just, just our life is terrible. God, he doesn't, he doesn't care about us. What is that? That's not the circumstances. That's their interpretation of the circumstances. And then you can see how they think about God, how they think about their future is all wrong. And so they have a wrong interpretation of their past, a wrong interpretation of their present, a wrong interpretation of themselves, a wrong interpretation of God, a wrong interpretation of their future. It's no wonder that they're complaining. It's not their circumstances, really. It's actually their interpretation of their circumstances. And we could go on and on throughout Scripture, uh, but I can't because we only have four minutes. But the point is, if we're going to help people, we have to build a relationship, we have to gather information, we have to listen, and we need to interpret that information. And so how do we do that? Well, you can start by asking, how are they actually interpreting their situation? That is such an important question. That's part of what you're listening for because it gives you so much data. <laughs> How do they understand what's going on? Um, it, will, it will help you know what truth to give them. Uh, and if you don't know how they're in interpreting it, it's likely that you're gonna give them the wrong truth or you're gonna just give them such a general truth or you're gonna actually uh, speak in a way that is not super helpful, ultimately. So you might have somebody, just really, somebody might be treating someone else roughly. Imagine, there's a guy, he's just running over people. There could be different reasons for that. You realize that, right? So like, here's the circumstance. I've got this guy who's just running over people. The way he talks is so rough. The way that he acts is so rough. Now, I want to help him. I have to figure out, okay, why, why, why is this happening? How is, he, how is he understanding this? So one reason they could be uh, running over people is just because they're angry. And so you listen to them and you say, okay, this is an angry guy and this is, they're using their words and their uh, actions this way 
to get what they want, James 4, clearly. Another reason, though, people are rough is because they're afraid, and they use intimidation as a way of protecting themselves. So, like, if I'm really rough to you, then I keep you out there, and you can't get in here, so I, it's a way of protecting myself. So that's a different, it's a little bit of a different nuance in terms of the truth I'm going to give him and the way I'm going to go about helping him. So I have to understand, I have to listen and ask questions to see, well, why is this, how is this guy understanding his world? Is he seeing himself at the center of the world and he's God and he's trying to force everybody to be, uh, act the way he wants through the way he speaks and acts? Or is this just a guy who's super afraid of people, fear of man, which is a kind of pride too, but he's really afraid and he's using, he's developed this way of speaking to protect himself. Another reason though could be habit. Um, they don't even know they're treating people roughly. There are, uh, it, it might seem hard to believe, but there are people who grow up and really, well, this part's not hard to believe, give me a break. But they, they, uh, they, they grow up in really rough homes, and so it almost becomes like a, a lifestyle, a habit of treating people uh, very badly. There's still sin that's involved in there, but it's a little different because they don't even hear themselves and don't even actually recognize the way that they're treating people. But as you interpret, the first step, you want to find out how they're interpreting, uh, how they're understanding what's going on, because their actions are actually related to a belief. And so you can tell them what to do all day long, but if they believe something different than you or what the Bible says, that action isn't going to click. Um, and then you have to you find out how they're interpreting, and then you have to help them process process that information biblically. You have to interpret. You have to look at that information and say, what does the Bible say about this, and what does the Bible say about what should be done about this? So how do they interpret? What is the interpretation? And then you have to think, how do I share this interpretation in a way that the person I'm helping can understand and agree with so they can actually change? Because it doesn't really help that much if you have the right interpretation, but they're not buying it. And sometimes that's because they're sinners and they just want to hang on to their sin. And sometimes it's because you haven't communicated that interpretation well. So there's a lot to this, obviously, and I'm trying to stop early. But this is a big part of discipleship. And so how can you start at getting better at interpreting life biblically and helping others do that? There were some ideas in the book. Read that again if you're wondering. But let me give you two areas you need to grow in. One, you need to grow in your knowledge of people. And two, you need to grow in your knowledge of the Bible. And so I say you have to grow in your knowledge of people because if you have a good exegesis of the passage but you're applying it to the wrong person and the wrong problem, then it's not going to be super helpful. And then on the other hand, you, you, you have to have a good knowledge of the Bible because that's what true interpretation is all about. And this is where people often get so confused because they talk to someone who seems to really understand them and they think because they understand me, and because they can say what's happening better than others, then their solution must be right. Please don't be tricked by that. It's nice that they can understand you and, and, and explain what's going on in your life accurately, but that doesn't mean the solution that they then offer is going to be the right solution. It just means they've done a better job at observing than others have done. So observation is helpful, but it's not the same thing as necessarily as giving you a good interpretation. Um, and so we as the church, we, we, uh, we want to be good at both. We want to be good at observing and understanding people and then also understanding what the Bible has to say about people. 
Um, and so you need to grow in both your knowledge of people and the Bible. How? Well, one, start with the Bible. One way you can grow in your knowledge of people and the Bible is by reading the Bible with the goal of understanding people. God knows people better than we know people. So read the Bible, and as you read the Bible, look for what you can learn about how people work. For example, here are some questions you can ask. I got seven questions you can ask as you read the Bible. What does this passage teach me about what people think, feel, or do? What does it teach me about what people actually need? What problem does it address? How does that problem express itself in our lives today? What comfort is found in this passage? What does that comfort tell us about our real needs as people? I love this about the Bible because sometimes you'll be reading a passage and it offers a, a comfort and you're like, that comfort makes no sense. That comfort makes total sense. The problem's not with the Bible, the problem's with you. So then you've got to figure out, oh, why, should, why is that comforting not comforting to me? <laughs> It's because my interpretation of the world is out of whack. One of my favorite comforts in the Bible, actually, along these lines, just for fun, is where Jesus says to his disciples, don't be afraid, because all they can do is kill you. It's like, ah, uh, that's like literally the reason I am afraid. But then Jesus goes on and gives a different interpretation. But so often the Bible's like that. What might be common objections to this text? How does my own heart object to the truth of this text? That's helping you understand people. What are some specific ways people live contrary to what this passage teaches? Are there biblical examples? What are some specific ways people have applied this passage successfully? How do they do that? So read the Bible to learn about people. And then two, start with your own life. If you want to grow in your ability to interpret biblically, uh, you need to start with your, interpreting your own life biblically. Paul Tripp says this, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. You are in an unending conversation with yourself. You're talking to yourself all the time, interpreting, organizing, and analyzing what's going on inside, and inside you and around you. And so in other words, you're counseling yourself all the time. And if you want to get good at counseling others, you need to get good at counseling yourself. And if you want to get good at counseling yourself, you can start with trying to interpret what's going on in your life accurately. And to get good at interpreting your life accurately, biblically, you can't just react all the time. You, act, you have to slow down and think. You have to evaluate. And to evaluate well, you have to have a little self-doubt and think about how you're thinking. And so here's a couple questions that can help you do that. There's something in your life, there's an issue. You're just sure this is the reason I'm responding the way I'm responding. Not so fast. Think, walk your way through this. Ask yourself, what's happening? Be honest, don't over-exaggerate, don't lie by saying, People always do this to me. That's why I'm doing this. Don't, don't lie to yourself. Say what's happening actually accurately. Then ask, how am I feeling? Some of you are your own biggest fans, so you're not honest. You're feeling angry, but you won't even say that to yourself. You'll be like, no, I'm just frustrated. No, dude, you are angry. Be honest. It's not going to help you change if you're not honest. Because you're going to repent. And then, and then who do you think you're fooling anyway? Like, God knows you better than you know you. And then third, what am I thinking about what's going on? And this is harder because some of us aren't thinking about what we're thinking, but you are thinking something. It is connected. I, I used to get those stomach aches all the time before I would talk in front of people. It got to be such a habit for me that I, I, I didn't always have thoughts about it. It just was a stomach ache. 
So if you ask me at that day, what are you thinking? I'm like, I couldn't articulate, I'm so afraid of what everybody's thinking. I wasn't really thinking much, but it was just a stomachache. But that stomachache definitely was related to a long-term life habit of pe giving people too much power uh, and putting them in the place of God. And then uh, fourth, what are people telling me to think about what's going on? You're talking to people about your problem and they're offering an interpretation. We, people are always offering, every Disney movie is offering you an interpretation. Every, everything, everybody's always offering you an interpretation. And so you've got to learn to evaluate what is their interpretation. And then fifth, what does, what's the Bible's? What does the Bible say about what's going on? How does the Bible label this? Uh, so f an example might be, I'm avoiding people and avoiding opportunities to do things where I might fail. So that's what's going on. I'm not doing that right now, but this is like an illustration. Um, so then I would ask, okay, I see this pattern in my life where I'm avoiding people and I'm avoiding situations where I might fail. Then I'll ask, how do I feel? Well, I feel anxious or fearful or upset that I'm not getting to do what I think I should do. I'm feeling always frustrated. How am I thinking? I'm thinking that they don't like me or that they'll think I'm dumb or awkward. How does the world interpret that? Well, the world might say, you're shy or you just need to believe in yourself more or um, that's just your personality. How does the Bible interpret that? Well, the Bible would say that's fear of man. That's pride. Um, that's making man's approval more important than God. That's being controlled by my feelings instead of truth. And uh, that's so important because then it helps me identify stupid solutions. So when the world comes and tells me to get over selfishness by becoming more selfish, I'm like, well, that doesn't really make sense as a good solution to overcoming selfishness <laughs> because I have the biblical interpretation. And you know, that might be hard for some of you to do. So I'm telling you, we need friends. That's why we need friends. Um, this is the kind of thing where we're trying to do with our children, honestly, from babyhood as parents, you're trying to help them through this whole process. This is what's happening. This is how you're feeling. This is what the world's telling you and you're even telling yourself is the problem. This is actually what the problem is. So this is the solution. That is like parenting 101. You just took something from your sister uh, or you just got angry at your sister because she has something you want. You just gave me an explanation of why. You just gave me an interpretation of why you're angry. Because she always gets that. And I never get to, to enjoy that. That's not facts. That's an interpretation. What is the reason for your inter interpreting that situation that way? It's because, well, one, it's a lack of love for another person. How should I respond biblically if someone gets what I want? I should be grateful, man. That's so great. They get to enjoy something that's good for them. Uh, how do I think about what I'm, but anyway, you're, well, this is parenting, so you can help your kids get better at interpreting. Some of us had, struggle a little more because our parents never, they just uh, never helped us do this whole process, and so we got so many unbiblical interpretations impacting us all the time. We've got to do a lot of more, a, a lot more um, work, but that's also part of why we all need help, even if we did have parents helping us do that, and that's part of why we have the church, and we have good friends. Um, and why we need T-cells. I heard someone say one time, this is the last basic thing I'll say, but the thing we need most in our lives is the thing we hate most. And uh, we need objectivity because we are so subjective as we look at our life. 
And yet, if you look at people stuck in problems, those same people who desperately need objectivity hate objectivity. They, they, uh, they avoid someone getting in their life and giving them a different interpretation at all costs. And uh, because they don't want it. <laughs> objectivity is a biblical interpretation. And yet we need that if we're gonna change. And so that's one of the goals of these T cells, but also any biblical friendship is developing a relationship where you care about someone, getting to know who they really are and how they interpret life, and then going back to God's word and helping them interpret it biblically. So now we have 20 minutes instead of 30, but yeah, thanks Isaiah, sorry. I think that we could always say, what, uh, well, what Pastor Joshua just referenced, uh, getting to hear that teaching is fantastic. So if we have a little less time in our question times, that is not a problem. So we uh, are going to be discussing Chapter 7. If you didn't already pick up questions, um, the uh, chapter is focusing on uh, acts of service, and it's one of two chapters. We will read Chapter 8 and discuss it for next time. Go ahead and circle up, and we'll spend the next you know, 18 minutes discussing, and I'll close us in, in prayer. Shoot for groups of, of a 8 to, to, to 10, not a, so small that someone who hasn't read can't hide, and yet not so big that uh, uh, not everyone gets a chance to share.